0: Hey, hey! Guess what time it is?
1: Menorah time! <laughs> hold on, hold on.
2: <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 281 for the week of December 16th, 2019. I am Terror of the Rideau Canal home David T. and I'm here with Lump of Coal Sarah D. Bunting. <laughs> That'll teach you. One made a milkin. Tara Ariano does a body good. Secret Jewish boyfriend David Roth. Smart,
0: handsome, worldly, and Jewish.
2: And winner in a marshmallow world. Jeb Lund. Shalom.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Extra Hot Great. Before we get into it, some site business. As you may have noticed, if you have looked at your calendar lately. Both December 25th and January 1st fall on Wednesday this year. That is how calendars work, in fact. Um, And since those are both holidays, we will not be having new episodes those uh, days. However, we will unlock Patreon episodes for those dates and return with our next new episode, January 8th. I guess I can spoil it here. Nick Reinwald jones will be joining us to talk about the new Dracula on Netflix. Blah! Blah very exciting about that. Um, However, between now and then, we will also produce four brand new extra, extra hot, great bonus episodes. So if you have a little extra holiday loot, you can throw some our our way for brand new content, as well as the entire archive of past extra, extra hot, great bonus episodes that we have already produced. And now, please welcome our guests, David J. Roth and Jeb Lund. Hello! Hello! Hello.
0: Hello. Hi! God, you know, I knew it was coming.
2: and <laughs> I like to make the timing slightly different from episode to episode, so it's always just a little bit awkward.
4: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that.
2: Mission accomplished, man. You did it.
3: As you have n- remember from their past separate appearances on this podcast, Dave and Jeb are the co-hosts of Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean, a podcast where they review the movies of the Hallmark Channel, Movies for the gentlest of people, TM. Uh, But since we wanted to cover new uh, holiday programming that was not on Hallmark, we decided to see if they wanted to cheat on the Hallmark Network this year with some other network programming. And as we asked you, our listeners, to help us with a poll Winner in that poll was David T. Cole's pick, which was Mistletoe and Menorah's. Before uh, we get into it, remind me, what was everyone else's pick? Sarah, yours was Rap Battle. I remember that. Did you watch it? No. Okay. (laughs) David J. Roth, what was yours? Something Louisiana? Uh,
0: Yeah, it was was like Christmas in Shreveport with Pam Greer in it. It was (laughs) like absolute neural network shit. I loved it. I'm sorry we didn't get to watch it.
3: And it was also on Lifetime, right?
0: Yes, it was a Lifetime
5: one.
3: And I believe Jeb also picked a Lifetime movie.
5: I've been trying to bring it up on my phone because I was last. I figured I might get to it. I can't remember. I think it was a journalist going undercover at a retail store, which is like two awful, poorly compensated jobs I have had.
3: Right. (laughs) Mine was a Christmas movie Christmas, but it didn't make it into the poll because I forgot when I uh, conceived of this that you can only have four items in a Twitter poll. So I didn't watch mine either. But it doesn't matter because... Dave was the victor. First of all, Dave, how did you feel winning this uh, this prestigious honor? <laughs> uh, well,
2: first, let me explain my strategy. You're going to win on the title and the title alone, because no way anybody's doing any research when voting on that poll. True. So you got mistletoe, you got menorahs. It seems like something a little bit different from your usual super white sugar cookie Christmas movie from Lifetime at all. So I figured it would win, and it did. Uh, I chose it because it sounded really silly and dumb, and it turns out it kind of was. But Mm -hmm. uh, I am honored, and I am looking forward to the discussion.
3: All right. Do you want to tell our listeners what this was about? So this is about a
2: secular Christian uh, who (laughs) is having a lot of trouble at work where they make toy lines for toy companies, which is an interesting line of business to be in. And she got (coughs) wrangled into a high-level meeting where, at the end of it, she agreed unknowingly to go to some big-wig clients' holiday party and lead them in some of the activities. But uh, she kind of uh, misunderstood, and now she's on the hook to do some Hanukkah stuff. On the flip side, there uh, is—it's so generic, I've forgotten his name. Is his name David?
3: Jonathan Jonathan Silver.
2: Okay. It should have been David because no relation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Jonathan David Silver um, Mm. is so precious to us. is is a jewish guy whose girlfriend is not and he has to sort of get on board with christmas because he's been living in some sort of cultural bubble where he knows nothing about christmas even though he's 40 or whatever he is (laughs) and it turns out they could help each other and so they do She learns about Hanukkah. He learns about Christmas. They discover that it's really just basically the same thing, guys. And uh, they live happily ever after after they dump their current boyfriend slash girlfriend. The end.
3: Okay, before we find out whether this satisfied all of your dreams, Dave Cole, let's throw it to our, our Hallmark visitors to see their reactions to uh, their taste of this forbidden fruit. <laughs> Jeb, what were, what were your thoughts about this uh, this wild um, swing from Hallmark to Lifetime? Were you jarred by the shocking secularism of, uh, of <laughs> mistletoe and menorahs?
5: Uh, not at all. Uh, we no. talked about this uh, behind the scenes, but we had thought about maybe doing a lightning round version of our show with some of our segments uh, to kind of highlight how wildly different this was. Because I was thinking, well, it's Lifetime, it's home of the original movie about like you know a family being dismembered in a home invasion, and like how it happened yeah. to this lady who lived next door, <laughs> and, and like I, I thought maybe some of that evil was going to creep inside, and it didn't. It was just like a slightly Less soft Hallmark movie. There were like there were lines that were funny that meant to be, and like there were a lot of them relative to what I'm used to. And I was just like, oh, this is just better than average. I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm drifting. Networks, David.
0: Okay. I, it's tough. It's nice to to know what else is out there. Uh, you know that like because I had thought for a long time watching Hallmark stuff that you know obviously we like it. That's why we we do the podcast. No other reason, but. <laughs> There I had always thought that what they needed was more like really skinny, pretty blonde ladies to be in the movies and they right. won't do it. They keep casting, you know, uh, like like kind of like blonde, skinny, like ladies that are pretty in them. <laughs> and so in this case, it was cool to see that there was a whole other way of doing it, a whole other way that it could be <laughs> but to Jen's point, though, like the stuff that's different about it, all with stuff that when you have to watch Hallmark movies in bulk. Uh, which is <laughs> basically like if you have like an IV drip with like corn syrup just constantly going into your, your arm, that like it is, you start to notice the stuff that, uh, you know, is not, it's there to just sort of like be in the background. In this case, there's little bits, uh, Jonathan seems sad when his girlfriend breaks up with him, stuff like that, that like, <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not a complicated thing. It's not like a new dramatic idea. And yet you just kind of don't see it in Hallmark movies, the idea of, like, a full range of emotion or even, like, a, a range of emotion that is not narrowly prescribed strictly to people being, like, clapping their hands with delight while someone puts a cookie on a plate in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> that, like – so there was, there was a lot more here uh, to find. Also, it was cool to see uh, Jews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think this is a big moment for uh, for Jewish people in show business. It's cool to see some representation finding <laughs> I'm allowed to make that joke. Uh, None of you. You
2: make that joke. joke. But when I was actually just today searching for an image for a lead topic, I came across so many articles that are generally like, this is the year of Jews and pop culture. Thanks to Mistletoe Menorah. (laughs) Like, what?
0: Really? Yeah, we did it. We broke through.
3: Uh, Sarah, I feel like your experience with Lifetime movies is more at the crime end of the spectrum. What were your feelings about Mistletoe Manor? Yeah,
4: it would have been much more of a sleigh ride, but spelled S L A Y. Sure. Um, <laughs> moment for me um, when I finally got past the f- well, I never did get past the fact that uh, the guy playing Jonathan David Silver is Craig Manning from Degrassi: The Next Generation. Yep. Um, I was like, this guy's really charming and he actually looks sort of like a normal person. I'm like scrolling down his IMDb entry and I was like, ah!" like I actually (laughs) had to pause this film, which as you know, is extremely intellectually challenging and much like the wire required one's full attention. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. It does not. Um, I liked it fine. This could be one of those situations where like you have no choice and your expectations are ankle high. So anything cute or fun that happens is like, Oh, neat. A plus. Um, Like the, he's extremely offended. That's how an apology muffin works. Is like going into my regular rotation of things. I say to the pets that have no context (laughs) and the pets don't speak English and don't care. Um so the more random uh the, the better fuck you pay me is something I say to the cats. I mean it's <laughs> you got to make your own fun in life. Um I liked it fine. Uh it was very uh, here's the only thing. Like you just have to give yourself up to the idea that like um David T Cole mentioned um Jonathan David Silver has been living in some kind of bubble in space. Where, mm-hmm. like, no fruit, he's never seen any comedy, he's never gone to a bake sale, like, the idea yeah. that he doesn't, uh, like, that he isn't aware of why fruitcake is a thing, or, like, a Christmas tree, what? Like, that whole, that was very difficult to, Um, that was very difficult to Believe and also, you know, if she is supposed to be in Chicago or really any major city, that she would be completely divorced from the idea of a latka, and then the ones that she made, oh my god.
0: yeah those are just metastatic tater tots. I love them <laughs> yes, it's like if
4: Burger King took a run at Lakas that's, that's what you'd get. there's so
0: many so this is not to get too much onto the the hallmark side of things, but that like a thing that Jeb and I always enjoy in the Hallmark movies is their sort of oafish like alien sense of how people eat and what they eat that like people just like. Appear only to subsist entirely on like nog and gigantic cupcakes. And that's just like and they're all you know, and they all look like Candace Cameron. Somehow it just it works out that way. And I was very (laughs) pleased to see that even across networks that people were making themselves just extremely cursed and unholy plates of food like the idea like making latkes and then just like setting yourself up with four of them on a plate and that's your whole meal just undressed just crushing some shredded potatoes that you fried in a pan
5: they're they're not small they're extreme
0: but that's hallmark shit
5: they're extremely brick like and at a distance i was like is that a kfc double down is that what they're having yeah
0: just some big some brown lumps that you sometimes you do dunkers with them sometimes you don't have to sometimes you just enjoy the lump
2: Uh, I I will give uh, Jonathan David Silver a pass for the fruitcake thing, and and that only. Like, if you live in a bubble, I I do excuse that. When I was a kid, our house was a no-fruitcake house because I assume my parents hated it. So I didn't know what fruitcake was until very late in life compared to where I should have known about it. My first encounter with fruitcake was actually a fruitcake somebody gave my parents that my parents put in the china hutch for whatever reason to hide it, to get it out of it way. And it sat there for like eight months until I opened it sometime near uh, Halloween and said... Um, what what is this thing here, this like weird, slightly squishy brown thing? It's like, oh, that's fruitcake. So why is it in here? It's like, well, I don't know. But what is it? And they try to explain to me, but why would people eat it? They don't. Then why did they make it? Well, it's a tradition. And like, I just could not wrap my head around why fruitcake exists. It's going to be one of those tales a thousand years from now when they tell about how the earth almost died, where it's like, well, you know, people would make this food that they weren't supposed to eat and they made a lot of it and it just like rotted or went into the landfill that's like the story of fruitcake and it was probably like 10 before i even encountered it so i give him a pass yeah. on fruitcake it's, alone
4: my dad and his brothers sent the same fruitcake made by a distant <laughs> relative around like amongst them for like 12 years
0: that's fantastic that was the what my parents told me gentiles did with fruitcake it was honestly that there was like that there were three of them and that they just kind of circulated endlessly as a sort of prank
4: it's like a hot potato game and basically like (laughs) my dad would always end up getting stuck with it because he's like i'm going to work and my mother's like i'm not playing this shit
1: Uh. So I want
5: to dispute something David said about it rotting because my family did that hot potato with like this really expensive, like fancy fruitcake. So mm. it got re-gifted and then it landed finally on my Basset Hound, who was fine after mm. eating all two pounds of it. Drunk, but fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, iron stomach. Great dog. I suppose it doesn't rot. This one was wrapped in cellophane,
2: so it didn't rot as much as it just sort of like sweated itself to death over the months, you yeah. know? So maybe it helped. I don't know.
4: It's like the bog people. Yeah. You know? Preserved. <laughs> I
0: want to hit a Jack Nance wrapped in plastic from Twin Peaks right now, but I don't think it's appropriate. It would kill the vibe. It's all oh very Christmassy.
3: God. Yeah. Anyway, back to this movie. I feel like I've, Dave has already heard all of my comments about it, but like you, you have to give up, give yourself up to the idea that like this is the, the this movie exists for people of various generations to pass time together.
4: Yes, and exactly. you have to
3: ignore the the parts of your brain that are telling you like this plot does not exist in a world where there is Google, no. <laughs> because yeah. like she finds or out cities. she's going to. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, you know, she if she's going to a Hanukkah party and she needs to know how menorahs work, like that's very easily solved, including like, you know, singing whatever you're supposed to sing ceremonially and stuff. And same for him, except even more so, like, I don't think it's possible for even an observant Jewish person to live in a major city and like outside of a closed community and not be exposed to just even the secular traditions of Christmas because he really seems flummoxed but like, like, and this holiday market just pops up every year. Like, you've never walked past a <laughs> holiday market before. I like, know. what do you do in December? Like, you don't know what
4: Christmas carolers are and how to route around them? Yeah. Is it your first day
2: alive? You work, mm-hmm. you work and live in a major city. Like, if you have ever counted one of those templated food fairs, you know exactly what this is. It's
4: just a Christmas right. version or Rockefeller Center anytime this month. <laughs> i
0: really into the idea of how terrifying it would be if you didn't know what carolers were and they just showed up. <laughs> 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 Which is his- people in historic garb singing like Come, all ye faithful outside your house, and you're like, I'm going to, all right. So I'm going to call the cops. You close the
5: blinds. Why, why do you have to drag the wicker man into everything? <laughs> Not every public gesture is like a sinister thing that you do around the solstice.
0: To be, I want to just get on the record here. That was really more of a straw dogs and less of a wicker man. There's only like five movies. Somehow, it's just like a recurring trope in our podcast, the Hallmark one, that I su- usually will find some way to compare it to like. Mulholland Drive or Wicker Man or just because there's a level of uncanniness that you encounter in Hallmark stuff that you really only ever get in like uh 70s British horror that is somehow also a musical or uh later Lynch.
2: Do you think that carolers feel pressured to learn one Jewish song so that when the Jewish guy who's dating the Christian girlfriend whispers in the ear if they know blah 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 they can do it? <laughs>
3: Well, past guest of the show, Dan Rogie, was a semi-professional caroler for many years. And I know he's going to hear this, so uh, Dan, please hit us up on Twitter and let us know if that's the case. I want to
0: know more about a semi-pro carol. Was it a league? He
3: he would uh, they would do it at a restaurant. It would be like a after Thanksgiving through all of December. They would be like basically like mariachis in a Mexican oh, restaurant, that except rules. it was carolers. <laughs> Really somewhere good. on the in Massapequa, i believe yeah
4: <laughs> where else
5: did they like did they bring like a, a crucifix like rolled up in the cellophane that you get for 20 dollars to give to your date or is it like not?
3: <laughs> i don't know that but i do know it was in victorian garb uh because i've seen pictures
5: mm.
0: i will say that maybe I, I don't know to what extent this is to the movie's credit or not but there was in the same way that with a hallmark movie there's something kind of there's like a gentleness that in it sort of enfolds the entire experience that makes things that would appear sinister in real life not be sinister in the film but this definitely had that and and kind of nailed it and I don't know if that's an artful thing or if it's just a matter of you know my expectations being set uh, realistically and then also me you know having a fairly high tolerance for this stuff at this point mm-hmm. but there's a scene where uh, Samantha and, and Christy are to, well, Christie's the lead, and Samantha's her work buddy. Are sitting in a coffee shop talking about who they know that might be Jewish, <laughs> yeah. and that's just I if I overheard a conversation like that, I would worry for the people <laughs> that they were naming. I would worry about a lot of things, and yet in this case, there's something kind of delightful about it. Like it's not exactly screwbally because all these movies take place at like you know a very slow. Uh, sort of like a, an amble, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, you know, it's like the idea of you're just sort of like that's somehow part of the texture of the whole thing. Is that they're they're sniffing out Jews, but it's you know for for <laughs> holiday reasons, it's fun.
3: Yes, for fellowship.
2: It's yeah. the happiest program yet. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> Well, since since you alluded to Pumpkin Pie Wars, we would be remiss if we did not mention the controversy that arose around the Hallmark Channel over the weekend. And uh, with that, I'm going to uh, pass the mic, as it were, to Jeb to speak on that for all of us.
5: Now, listen, I don't want to get off on a rant here. <laughs> But uh, you did it. But anyway, every weekend, the Hallmark Channel gently wages a rearguard action in a cynical culture war that its prime demographic is losing. Hallmark movies feature anti-urban small town and pastoral settings teeming with bourgeois, passively Christian, heterosexual white folks who have nice houses and good jobs. It's comforting. But for more and more viewers, it's increasingly only a comforting fantasy. The problem is it still pays really well. As one of our guests, Jesse Apoyan wrote this week in Madison's Capital Times, Hallmark has promised to expand its inclusiveness for years, then repeatedly failed to follow through. Despite over 30 new movies just for countdown to Christmas every year, it still has only about three titles with non-white leads. Its first ever Hanukkah movie this year, which our podcast will be covering next week, is actually just a Christmas movie. And, and to go refer back to something that David said earlier, it's also kind of a who are the Jews amongst us movie. <laughs> anyway, these false starts and non-starts for the most part don't matter because their core demo stays there. Besides, the vocal part of that demo gets loud when it doesn't get represented. So take this week. Hallmark broadcast ads from the wedding site Zola in which there was <gasps> a lesbian kiss, <laughs> one million moms, an anti-gay interest group rather than a MILF porn website, <coughs> immediately screamed bloody murder, at which point Hallmark pulled the ads. Then Hallmark got raked over the coals for their capitulation. Fans roasted the channel on social media, and former star and one of our podcast's favorites, Hillary Burton, explained that Hallmark's brand of exclusive political correctness was why she no longer appears on the network. Next, Hallmark reversed course, pledging that it would work with GLAAD to, quote, better represent the LGBTQ community across our portfolio of brands. But, as Apoyan writes, these pledges are easy and the network's follow-through is hard. Saying you'll get it right and then never changing or actively making things worse is relatively easy. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell does this every season. Hallmark isn't my vote for this week's Loser of the Week because it caved to bigots and then caved on its own cave. They're the loser of the week because this asymmetrical grievance warfare script is so old it's got wings. Nobody has any excuse for not knowing how it works these days. For instance, something happens on TV. Say, Justin Timberlake exposes Janet Jackson's breast. And then a representative of the direct male conservative grievance scripter industry, say, to take a name out of a hat... Nepotistic chode L. Brent Bozell III of the Parents Television Council sends out a mass mail to his followers, complete with a form letter they can copy, and suddenly a network or the FCC is flooded with a few hundred complaints, way more than the praise. Because people take time to write when they're angry. They don't write you when they had a pleasant experience again, just like they did last week. And they especially don't write you when the kind of programming they'd write to praise you for producing isn't something that even appears on your network. By and large, when a network caves to the angry letters, they're really doing the easy thing to do, or what they already wanted to do, and they're using the complaints as a beard. It remains to be seen what Hallmark wants to do. If past is prologue, they really don't want to change. They have richly rewarding reasons not to change. But those richly rewarding reasons will eventually die out or dwindle to a minority experience, just like the America featured in their movies. When that happens, they'll have bigger problems than being loser of the week. But maybe, if we're lucky... This is the time they can choose a different future.
3: Well said.
0: Wow, that's incredible! You just improvised all of that. Yeah. Mm. Fuck off! <laughs> no, it was really good. It, sounded <laughs> it.
4: it contained the word showed I'm content.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a hundred percent right. On
4: speaking of like the
2: diminishing margins of being, you know, in that business and being that tone deaf. Like, do you think that there is a pass it on to the next network sort of? trickle down here like i'd imagine if somebody does a non-secular christmas movie you know one that actually mentions jesus christ by name then like what is the network Is like packs still around is that a thing or did it change names up
3: tv does a lot of that so
2: like that's the first stop right for all your non-secular stuff if it's too secular they would pass it down to hallmark And if Hallmark's like, well, it's a little too racy, you know, because you have a kiss in the first act or whatever that is, then you get to Lifetime.
0: Well, there's – have you seen – there's this movie that – Amelia Clark and Henry Golding movie Mm -hmm. that, like, legit looks like a Hallmark movie that is Mm going to be in theaters?
1: It's in theaters. It just passed $100
0: million. $100 million. Yeah. In American dollars.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's not – like, you're not talking about bot. That's not,
4: that's not
5: like Turkish Lira.
0: Uh, I don't know. That's incredible. Because it really looked, that one looked, you know, the highest ranking that Jeb and I give on the podcast to a Hallmark movie when it's the best that it could be is just that, like, it's basically a movie that could be released in theaters. Mm-hmm. And that one really didn't, that looked like a four <laughs> out of five to me, Jeb, just going by the ads.
5: Uh, you know, honestly, like, I, I, I just feel bad for Amelia Clark having to do like Daenerys for so long in just this tight assed way. So the fact that she could, she looked like she was having fun up there and I was like, yeah, good for her.
1: Yeah.
0: So Uh, finally, finally something my way. What's that?
3: I believe it was written by Oscar winning screenwriter, Emma Thompson.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God.
0: Wow. Well, that's good. Um, All Hallmark movies are written by the same five people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's one similarity that they don't, they don't have. Uh, the, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I do like to think that there is sort of like a a continuity across that, like the idea of like, that there is such a thing as writing a script for Hallmark and they're like, well, I don't know that this is quite for us, but like maybe one of the other five networks that's producing like two Christmas movies a week would be interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it exactly works that way, but I think the, I can't imagine that such a thing as peak Christmas movie could exist, given how many there are now and how many more there are every year.
2: Flash forward to 2020. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Mankind lives underground.
2: Me and Tara just last week (laughs) watched Six Underground, you know, the Ryan Reynolds, Michael Bay, directed netflix movie that obviously all the networks passed on. I want to see the Christmas equivalent of that on Netflix in 2020. Like a huge, ambitious... Full feature film, big stars, big directors, utter shit that Netflix will debut December 2020. Like, I want the Christmas six underground. Yeah. That would be amazing. Like, that would sort it's of be t- where all this is heading as far as... Todd Phillips's Kringle. <laughs> it's really dark.
3: I mean, I think that's already out. It's called Noel. It's on Disney Plus, and it stars Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader, and I'm not mm. making that up. That uh, is
5: real. Good on, point. man. So this is starting to sound like one of our crossover segments. So I, basically what I'm thinking is you just set it kind of like Terminator-like. You basically get like ad campaign AI decides that the only way to get 365 days of Christmas is to create an army of robots that just nail people to things until we have <laughs> enough confirmed Jesuses for all the year. Then you just have to keep celebrating. Can't yeah. stop. Man, this, I'm going to sound like I have a real religious problem with all my comments. i got I've only gotten like two <laughs> comments during the like, you know what's wrong with Catholics? <laughs>
0: <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> More of that classic anti-Papist material that keeps the subscribers coming back to our it's, podcast.
5: It, it's the it, well, we changed it from the know Nothing podcast because you know copyright.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's time to go around the dial, talking about what we're watching on TV lately. First up, Tara.
3: Uh, I want to make sure I get this title right A Christmas uh, Carol. It's about this guy, Ebenezer Scrooge, 1843 London. Just kidding, we all know the story. This is uh, an FX miniseries. We'll get to the formatting in a second. And it stars uh, Guy Pierce as Scrooge. We'll get back to that in a second, too. Dave, watched this with me. It's not airing until as we record this tomorrow night, but uh, we got a screener. I, I would not say Dave watched this with me. He was in the room. I was there. I, I think okay. I did. Dave, would it blow your mind if I told you that the writer of this project was Stephen Knight, the writer of Peaky Blinders, Eastern Promises, accredited creator of The British Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and your favorite show on Apple TV? See?
2: Not Really? Yeah. This series should have been called Ebenezer fucking Scrooge. You know, like that's yeah. the tone they were going for. Um, you uh-huh. know, adding in, I, I mean, I want to step on your toes, but adding in a rape storyline, a child abuse storyline. Mm-hmm. That- what? What?
0: What? What? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think there's a rape storyline in
5: A Christmas Carol. No, there I'm was, my- but readers complained. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Let's not say anything more about that. I, I doubt it's under embargo anymore, but it isn't airing until later this
5: okay. week.
2: So uh, it would not surprise me because this is obviously the dirty, gritty, modern take on Ebenezer Scrooge. You think Bill Murray as Scrooge is good? Fuck that shit. Here comes this one. It's gray. It's snowy. It's wet. And people are getting dead.
3: Yeah. So... <laughs> There's a reason this plot is so frequently mined for Christmas episodes other than that it is in the public domain and the big idea behind this take seems to be to take it back to first principles plus, as Dave said, add a child molestation storyline. So this is set in the era in which the story was originally published and it is, as Dave alluded, very dark, both in tone and in its actual lighting, unfortunately, although that might have been cleaned up for error. As I said, we watched a screener. And there are elements that are interesting, although I feel personally attacked, to be reminded that Guy Pearce, now playing grizzled old gross misanthrope Scrooge, was the gorgeous sassy beefcake drag queen in The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, 25 years ago. Here's one. Um, I feel like other adaptations I've seen are kind of vague about where Scrooge's money came from. Like they say he has a counting house or he's a mean miserly boss. But here we actually see some of Scrooge and Marley's businesses like they cheap out on safety expenses for a mine in Wales that results in a cave in that kills a bunch of workers, including children. And they also buy a distressed cotton mill whose owner has over leveraged it with his own gambling debts. So they buy it for pennies and then sell it for a tenfold profit to another company that's going to dismantle it for parts. So in this conception, Scrooge and Marley are private equity vultures, which is very now. Um, anyway, the whole thing is divided into three chapters, which I assume is how it's going to be shown in the future as a mini series event on multiple nights. for, But for its premiere... FX is airing it in one big long block starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, December 19th on FX. And with commercials, that will be almost four hours, which seems insane to me. Like, I, I mean, I get hung up on this stuff and then I remember, oh, like air dates and times don't matter anymore. People just record this stuff. I'm old fashioned. But, you know, if only that for the fact that it starts on a Thursday, this seems like a lot of very heavy shit to go through and then have to go to work the next day but that said i do think it's worth watching the performances are very strong um it's really well cast uh and i think there is some compelling choices are made with the story that make it feel fresh and urgent but like i said very heavy so i would rec- suggest recording it when it airs and just watching one chapter a day and taking a break and leaving the last one maybe for christmas eve which is how i would have scheduled uh not that anyone asked me and i will also warn anyone who sees this in the you know tv guide or whatever on the digital <laughs> lineup and thinks oh a christmas carol that'll be fun for the whole family mm no <laughs> it's uh there's some real violence and scariness that might might be definitely too much for the very young probably more than the very old would care to enjoy either so that's my take dave are you
2: talking about andy circus hamming it up again
3: well there, there is that okay. yeah andy circus is in it as the ghost of uh, christmas past although he takes on other forms it also feels very unbalanced i will say that like two-thirds of it feel like they're the ghost of christmas past and then they're like oh shit we have two more ghosts and then they those those two feel very rushed but uh yeah what did you do you think it do you agree it's worth watching or nah
2: Yeah I mean it's novel mm-hmm. I don't think it's essential viewing by any means you know like No some of the choices they made were really bizarre like this is the Batman nipple suit you know some of these things they've done like what what why <laughs> did they do that like that doesn't seem right I don't want to see nipples uh-huh. on Batman's suit I don't want that in my sure. Christmas carol there, There's there's right. more than a, a couple of choices like that Um, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it just kind of feels like they were trying a little too hard to make this as dark as possible and they take a lot of a lot of liberties with the original story to take it there
3: i would agree with that but it's it's worth checking out just for for the novelty's sake i would say it's you know it's different enough from all of your your other scrooge takes that are you know (laughs) <laughs> your muppet christmas carol your mickey's Christmas carol your Scrooged your various uh, the the one with um Vanessa williams's Wilhelmina Scrooge etc for my plug, uh, we haven't actually recorded this yet, but I will be on the uh, culturally relevant podcast this week with my friend Dave Chen, who I did uh, The Sweet Smell of Succession with. We are going to be counting down the top 10 TV episodes of the decade. Uh, I hate making lists like this. I hate it. I told him that, but only for Dave Chen would I do such a thing. Uh, so I guess I probably have to – um make that list pretty soon, but yeah, I will uh, link it in the show notes so you can check that out probably uh, later this week or next week. Listen to that.
2: Mr. David Roth. So this is invariably
0: going to wind up being kind of recursive because a lot of the television stuff that my wife and I learn about and choose to watch is stuff that she hears you all talking about and then we watch it. So there's (laughs) not a lot that I can talk about that hasn't already been discussed here, Uh, but There's one show, and I don't remember which one of you it was that plugged it that was on Showtime, which was me. was it? It, So Back to Life is the name of the show, kind of a Daisy Haggard uh, one-woman show type thing. I mean, there's other actors in it, but she stars in it and wrote every episode. And it is uh, beautifully done and short and funny and knows what it's about and was just a delightful six episodes of kind of like, off-center comedy and good performances and, uh, like evocatively shitty looking British seaside sites, (laughs) like just some of the worst weather that you could imagine appearing, uh, on film. But I, it had, I think not just because of the fact that I enjoyed watching it, but it, it managed to do, uh, something that I, I wish more shows did. I guess there is going to be a second season of it, but it was absolutely six episodes and dive. Everything is, is 30 minutes it was not trying to necessarily make any sort of profound points about guilt or forgiveness. It was not uh, depressed in the way that uh, American shows about serious topics, like in this case, the woman uh, whose main character had been to jail for accidentally killing uh, her best friend in high school. And it's like it deals with her feeling bad and it deals with the community sort of rejecting her. But – It's just, like, tonally really in command of its shit and uh, so finds a way to be sort of funny in there and also make you feel a couple things without uh, ever, like, putting its thumb on the scale in terms of uh, trying to make you feel too much or um, trying to act like something is funny that isn't.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it reminded I think I said this at the time but it reminded me of Fleabag and its ability to like have a very small moment land and be extremely devastating mm-hmm. in its in its impact. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I guess there's something about that that understatement especially that I kind of appreciated with it too because I so many um especially like I mean it's on showtime. There's not a lot of of understatement going on on that network just as a general rule (laughs) and uh like so it was i appreciated it that like a lot of the funniest jokes were kind of sort of buried in that way and a lot of the most emotionally resonant moments were sort of the same and it it, i don't know it takes some real discipline not to underline that shit i agree yeah so that was good
3: (laughs) is there (laughs) anything you wanted to plug uh, you know,
0: um, I do a podcast mm-hmm. with Jeb. I don't know if anyone's mentioned it. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll let, Jeb, I'll let Jeb mention it. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Um, if you wanted to see what I and the other people that quit Deadspin are doing, I guess I'd do this. I would follow the at Undeadspin account on Twitter, which is as our uh, stuff runs at different venues, um, you know, over the weeks and months to come, uh, that would be where you could find it. So uh, not just me but uh, all the people that you like more than me that used to work at the <laughs> website.
3: <laughs> Love it.
4: Sarah D. Bunting. Um, hello. I'm here to talk about The Prophet, which I would say it's back, but uh, Season 7 has been going on for a while now. I just uh, kept uh, interrupting that bulletin with much tackier programming. Um, you finally got a new, less Kazooie theme song. Uh it's actually a bit like if you gave up on it because season six seemed to focus a lot on not just philanthropy and global rebuilding, but like how great Marcus Limonis was at being next to that. Um, Mm. This is a little bit more of a return to the straightforward profit of old, but it's also involved uh, again, Or it's also evolved again because Limonis is investing but not necessarily insisting on an ownership stake, which is like a little weird. And it it feels a little more elliptical than it has in the past. Uh, It's more about proof of concept. Uh, The businesses are not as shaky. There's not as much like mold on the kegerator, I guess, metaphorically or, (laughs) you know, literally. Uh, but it's still entertaining, so if you'd sort of kick that off your list because there were too many very special profits on a CNBC show called The Prophet, uh, it is back to its normal form. And least least pleased to report that as of this recording, fucking Sweet Pete's has not showed up on the show yet, thank God, uh, There has definitely been an issue with his promoting success stories, quote-unquote, from prior seasons. And Sweet Peas was like every other episode for a while. I'm sure that he makes a very nice piece of candy, but I don't think he needs to be in a haberdasher. It's just my opinion. What do I know? (laughs) I work on the internet. (laughs) Speaking of which, for my plug, uh, I am doing power rankings every week for both below deck and the real housewives of new jersey that is a primo uncut bravo product Uh, you don't want to miss any of that that is on primetimer.com jeb your turn you're up so like a lot of thoroughly average white guys,
5: I'm a really big fan of the expanse uh which just had its new season uh appear premiere publish drop whatever you want to call it this last week and and like people with insomnia, I'm already done with it um i like I think you've probably already read or heard a think piece saying like why it's a really good show, but uh if you like sci-fi that is not just like you know how can we you know captain let's use the main deflector dish and a reverse tachyon beam and then like sour the milk of something and like everything's fine if you want to like use sci-fi as actually a vehicle for talking about like resource depletion and imperialism and you know like uh creating a polity that is representative and and you know lots of like good you know heavy shit that sci-fi is supposed to do well It, it does it really well and like at this point i'm like a child with uh with tv like i have to just have blinky shit on with me <laughs> even with a show that is like visually rich and well acted like that one i'll still just be there like uh oh, what if uh, what if the president said something dumb today better get on twitter you know or like uh, let, let me play like my five thousandth game of this is not quite risk but that's why it cost only ten dollars to buy risk online you know like and and that's a show Rusk. that you can't do yeah, like, it's got you two can play as
0: as Dean Rusk
5: it's McGeorge like Bundy Steve Rusk <laughs> Um, but anyway, like you can't do that with this show and you shouldn't because it's visually beautiful. And and like, again, it's a heady text. But if you're just going to do that anyway, one thing I will say about it is you're just going to have to watch it again. And it's really good the second time too, maybe even better.
2: Hmm. <laughs> My favorite part of The Expanse is that uh, Jeff Bezos just like basically funded it because he wanted it to continue because he just like, I don't know what happens next. And he has got that kind of fuck you money. So I feel like he's like a one man Jericho Team. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I mean, he's an, he, he seems like a real dick, but you know, it it must well, be nice to say okay. there's a TV show I wish didn't get canceled. You know what? It's not canceled.
0: Jeff Bezos doing the OA dance.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I will say that for all the of all the the rich people wasting money on uh, television content, he seems like he's probably got the best taste. Like the Amazon shows, as a general rule, are pretty good to me relative to the other ones. Mm. But basically, what I'm saying is, I appreciate Bosch, and it's Fair changed enough. the whole way that I think about oh. Bezos because it's like, how bad could he be when he brings me a new season of Bosch every year?
4: Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> Slash yeah. only. <laughs> yeah,
0: literally only us, and then a bunch of people that are like doing a bit on Twitter. You and I are just dead earnest. Yeah, feels great. <laughs>
3: I mean, I've said this before, I've but I that. I know two different TV writers who named their dogs Bosh, so I think they mean it. Anyway, did Jeb, did you have anything you want to plug? I know sure. you were recently on a podcast we all enjoy.
5: Uh, so this week I was on Sarah's podcast, The Blotter Presents, woo, and we talked about Truth Be Told, the Apple original that is about a podcast host solving a crime. Yeah, and uh, like I think again, <laughs> yeah, right She's, this time. It's it it it's, it should be called do over,
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, but if you find the like the act of saying like oh this came up on my podcast in real life to be already inherently funny and <laughs> want to see it just become hysterical every time, <laughs> this woman's like well you know I know that you may be dying of cancer and your kid is a Nazi in jail and he's probably innocent but it's for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we yeah. didn't like it at all, but we had a really good time being haters yeah. on it. It was fairly gentle for being haters, but we were being haters. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So Watchmen ended,
2: and when it started, we had a very cursory review of it, which was, uh, oh, oh, yeah, okay. That was my review at the time. Um, it ended its run on Sunday. I have to say, I am impressed by how it... Uh, was part of the watchman lore but not slavish to the graphic novel and it felt very much a new and singular thing unto itself i thought that was no small feat um and the shift of the catalyst of events from being the cold war in the comic book to uh, i don't know we got new american bigotry or good old-fashioned american bigotry it felt grounded and appropriate to a show that takes place in, in 2019 and it felt, insofar that we're talking about a show with a superhuman blue glowing guy, it felt natural. Um, <laughs> I feel also that there's absolutely no need to continue this series. I felt it wrapped up perfectly fine. I know there's always yeah. pressure for seasons 12 to 82, but It just ended on a really perfect, great note for its story and no harm in just leaving it there, guys. So maybe, you know, that's it for Watchmen and it's going to be this nice little thing that existed.
3: As it was leading up to the final moment, I I knew what it was going to be. And if it was anything other than what it was, I would have been mad. So I would say it was it ended perfectly and I don't need any more. Yeah.
4: AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. LeRoy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet. And I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now!
3: Today's extra credit comes to us from Lauren. It is Benevolent TV Dictator. She writes, A running theme of the podcast are shows that you all acknowledge are probably good, but, quote, not for me, end quote. So true. For my extra credit, I want everyone to play Dictator of All TV. Everyone should pick a well regarded show that isn't for them and propose one major change that would make them like the show. So I'll go first. I love stand up comedy. I love TV shows about women. I love mid-century women's fashion. So I should love Marvelous Mrs. <laughs> Maisel, but I don't. <laughs> One reason no. that I've already talked about in an episode of our Patreon uh, uh, podcast, Extra Extra Hot Great, is that it's too long. There's no reason that episodes should be an hour. It should be a half hour. But that's not what I'm going to talk about here. The main thing that I would change is um, – the pure indulgence that is the writing of Amy Sherman Palladino. So the show does not yes. need fixing from an empirical perspective. It's a multiple award winner. She's got picked up for a fourth season after its third season had been out for like two days. So it's fine without me. I I acknowledge that. But how to make me watch it would be take it away from Amy Sherman Palladino and give it to a writing team or showrunner. Uh, of people that respect and are here to do hard jokes. I don't want the humor of the show like this to arise from the adorable quirk of its characters or the costumes in terms of rompers that some Tony Shaloubes might famously wear. I want every second of screen time to be jammed with bits. To that end, let's reassemble the writing room for 30 Rock, give them a few reference books about Midge's era... Ditch all the the parts of her story that are about honest human emotion or whatever the hell and just make the show funnier. And by the way, that does not mean show us more of her stand-up act. Famously, 30 Rock's smartest move, unlike its contemporary Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, was that it hardly ever showed us sketches. We don't ever need to see Midge's act to believe she's killing. In fact, it's easier to believe she's killing if we never see her do stand-up comedy. That is my pick. David J. Roth. Uh,
0: I don't know how well-regarded this is, and it's also a show that I actually already decently like. Uh, So I I will tell you the name of it eventually, but I'm not going (laughs) to rush into that.
3: (laughs) Uh, Caveat's noted. So
0: um, Kate uh, started watching Stumptown, and that show has gone from – Kate being my wife uh, Mm – has gone from the level of – uh, a show that I will be in the room, but be booping around on my computer while we're watching to a show that I now actively watch. Uh, it's got some really good actors in it. It's got Jake Johnson and Kobe Smulders who are uh, to me like best in class for charming, interesting, good looking people that I like watching on television. Uh, it's just kind of, um, and it's got interesting source material. It's based on a Vertigo comic. It is um, strictly B- to B-plus right now for me. And I think that it, while it's done well, there's just sort of some network TV goofery about it where it feels a little bit off the rack. I think that it's perfectly watchable and if it runs for five seasons I will mostly pay attention to most of the episodes during that (laughs) period of time Uh, but I want Rob Thomas to start doing it now instead of of the current guy just in the sense that I think it could and should be funnier and uh, also just a little bit more in the way that like uh, there's something kind of like authentically kind of grotty and shitty looking about a lot of uh, the stuff that is supposed to be grotty and shitty looking or Mm -hmm. feeling in a Thomas thing. And in this case, there's something very like sort of curated uh, secondhand store about the vibe of it that I think (laughs) he would do a a little bit better by have a little bit lighter touch, but don't change the cast. Uh, You know, obviously like there's a lot of stuff about it that's like really solid and fun. I just would, I think it could be a lot better with it with him in charge. Great, I love that
2: great suggestion. Thank also, you. um while we're fixing Stump Down, can we please take the time to do a proper comic book rendition of whatever freeze frame you want to make it look like a comic book, just not run a lazy fucking Photoshop filter yeah. over posterized oh, the posterized yeah. color? Come on. Like if iZombie can do it on a fucking CW budget, and they didn't do a super great job either, but this better than this. Yeah. Also, I think I we need full attention and computer attention to be the new two thumbs up of the TV criticism world. Cause it really is yeah. like a modern thing. Well, it's
0: like thing. the tier for me. There's like ones where like yeah. I, oh totally you know, yeah. Totally. There's also ones where I, I can't be in the room. Uh, I haven't mentioned any of those, but there's other shows where it's just like a front of the apartment show. And I just go in the back and <laughs> let people yell at me on Twitter until the show is done. <laughs> Fair enough.
4: Sarah. Hmm. Um, well, mine was Deadwood, and I, my initial suggestion was get rid of Molly Parker. Uh, and my notes said probably won't work, but it can't hurt. I don't know what it is about her. She's just like slappable. I don't, I don't know why. But here's the thing what you actually need to get rid of is David Milch. And now I want Rob Thomas to rewrite <laughs> Deadwood for me. To
0: rewrite Deadwood. Damn. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. It's a big swing, buddy. That is. Yeah, hard for me to imagine.
5: Yeah, same. Kristen Bell was already in it. We just bring her back, right? Yeah, <laughs> yep.
3: you know who would be a, a, a an Alma Garrett that Sarah could get behind, though Carrie Coon.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there is some uh, a Vulcan quality to her performance in Deadwood for sure. That sort of mm-hmm. like when Seth Bullock falls for you, like her.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what else? While we're at it, like CGI out Jeffrey Jones, the sex offender uh-huh. and put in Tracy Letts. <laughs> <Just saying>. Yes. <laughs> All right. Jeb.
5: Tara, actually, i sorry. Just burst in with yes. When you were talking about Mrs. Mazel. I, I definitely agree with you about like cutting the, the stand up. But the other thing is, I just want to like I'm fine with the the writing structure, but I just want like a referee to just blow a flag every yeah. time Amy Sherman Palladino takes her normal dial from 11 to 17 17 because mm-hmm. it's just like there's a time there's a point at which you're being indulged too much and like you are better for the struggle or at least for the editing
4: yeah Heart also agree. lose the fucking hats <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seriously
0: <laughs> enough with the fucking hats come on Lee <laughs> I haven't even I haven't seen saying. the show but
5: <laughs> they call it a chapeau Dave
0: <laughs> oh yeah that's a, that's a good hat
5: uh, but for uh, for my i guess still well-regarded <laughs> show into something that would be for me like i wanted to give like just the the piss take answer of i would like svu to become law and order vanilla again <laughs> like <laughs> um, yeah but the uh, so like there's shows also like if, as long as we're doing like tiers of shows like the, i'll put my devices away i'll avidly watch it with a device or then there's just like the shit that i will always watch because everybody else is talking about it and I can't sleep or I just need to see something that will engage my brain. So I don't think about my life, you know? And so like for me, succession is one of those where Mm -hmm. everybody I know, because they mention journalists, like journalists are the biggest marks for this shit. Like, Oh, that's (laughs) alluding to something we did. And it's like, no, you're still not cool, you know? And (laughs) like, but everybody I know is going to talk about it. So like, fuck it, it's on and I'll watch it. And like, I think the thing that keeps it from working for me is kind of like, what kept the daily show for working from working for me after it became kind of like peak essay daily show, which is that it can't decide what kind of humor it wants to be. Like at some points it's like searingly satirical, but the people involved are definitely like the great zombie. Jesus was that a leopard kind of like school (laughs) of ad lib. And so they sometimes go really big in a way that ruins these characters that are already kind of like two dimensional at best in a lot of in a lot of cases. Like they just they go for the joke beyond the sustainability of their text and it kind of undermines it. I just want again, kind of like a referee to be like, good bit, but no. You <laughs> know, or like, good bit, and then it goes like just have the best, funniest fucking deleted scenes in the world, if you want. But you know, otherwise stick with the satire.
3: Yeah. I can't disagree.
2: All right. I'll wrap this up. I have a few. In fact, uh, it's been a while, but I made a list.
3: One, two, three, four, oh, five. Six,
1: seven,
2: eight, 8, 9, ten, ten, eleven, 12. Most of these, I went down the candid submission and found all the shows that I may have said not for me. Although I will say, I try not to do that. I try to put my head into a different space. So when there's a show not for me, but I can appreciate what they did, like you are the one, I can vote yes for it. Um, <laughs> but Are you the one? Are you the one? Yeah. Uh, but here's my list. All right. <laughs> Girls, but it's the backstory for Kylo Ren. Uh, Doctor Who but once an episode, someone asks out loud Doctor Who? (laughs) Enlightened but it ends every episode with Amy solving her problems by driving a starship into them at light speed Father Ted, but it's your dad trying to give a Ted Talk (laughs) (laughs) Gilmore Girls, but it's about 90s Toronto Maple Leaf centered Doug Gilmore and his commercial for Milk which I spent years trying to figure out what this other hockey player says to him. And I refuse to believe it wasn't English. Let's listen to that. Hey, Togi,
5: what's your secret? Hey, guys. Hard work, balanced diet, variety. including milk. Cold, refreshing milk.
2: (laughs) At (laughs) least... I was gonna say four times a year I'll break a my name is then, <laughs> You have
3: to explain for the non-Canadians. They show his legs, his bare legs, and they're painted like a like a Jersey cow.
2: I don't think it really matters because the fact is, I it's, guess not. Yeah, um, I just never really could translate that. I'm sure he is, as Tara said, Russian or Ukrainian or something, and it makes sense. But it just never clicked to me that it wasn't supposed to be English, and I've been trying to figure it out for the last 25 years. I'm dumb. All right, moving on. <laughs> Flander, but everybody has to re-record their dialogue with my. A heightened sense of what a scottish brogue really should be for the whole show uh, rick and morty but it has a totally different fan base and finally yeah. smash but the musical in production isn't bombshell but in fact a musical about the 1970s tv show the incredible hulk that would be amazing all right that backwards music can only mean one thing it is time for a no nack presentation this week tara brings us what
3: since this is our holiday episode, I decided the time had come for us to talk about a nadir in the pantheon of Christmas-themed TV episodes. Admittedly, the near pornographic intensity of societally imposed festive cheer has led to some very bad holiday episodes across a variety of series. The Christmas episode where Alf, the cat-eating alien from the planet Melmac, contemplates suicide is one notorious example. <laughs> But an episode that has always stuck in my craw is Beverly Hills 90210 Season 3, Episode 16. It's a totally happening life in which invisible angels save the gang on their way to deliver presents to the kids at the Alvarado Street School from letting a drunk garbage truck driver T-bone their bus and kill them all. It was not until very recently that I'd (laughs) seen every episode of the original Beverly Hills 90210, so I now know from sometimes bitter personal experience... That in terms of the entire series run, there are definitely worse episodes of the show that bears this names, episodes that are more boring, that are more lazily written, and that spend more time on characters no one could possibly care about, Noah. However, (laughs) now that I have seen every episode, I am more committed than ever to my own personal belief system, which is that the show should have concluded with the departure of Shannon Doherty's character, Brenda Walsh, in the season four finale. And I plan to proceed with the rest of my life as though it did. So, with regard to the portion of the series run that matters to me, here's why It's a Totally Happening Life is absolutely no knack worthy. Number one, even grading on a ripoff curve, this episode is extremely lazy. There are a few threadbare slash copyright safe holiday stories your less creative TV writers love to rewrite for a Christmas episode. In this very podcast episode, in fact, I've already talked about Stephen Knight's take on a Christmas Carol, which is probably the number one go-to. A well-known poem that's also somewhere in the top ten gets stripped for parts here as well. Clip two. I uh, sorry, clip one. So the day
5: before midterms and all through the school.
3: The teachers were jamming, the students were cool. Who were they? The editors of the <laughs> school newspaper.
5: Play staff kicked butt to put the paper to bed.
3: Well, visions of vacations danced in their heads.
5: For the record, I just want to make it clear. They did not learn this in honors English.
3: <clears throat> Love, I, I don't know if you can hear it on the clip, but you, Jason Priestley sighs at the beginning of his recitation like even he knows this is dog shit. Anyway, It's a Wonderful Life is also a reference that's commonly in the Christmas mix. Like the Alf Christmas episode, it revolves around a character contemplating suicide during the holidays. And just kidding. We all know the story of, this, of It's a Wonderful Life. Here, the adaptation is pretty loose. It's echoed in the episode title and in the framing device of intervention by angels into the lives of troubled mortal humans, which, if successful, will earn wings for a trainee angel. However, this time it's the managerial angel whose name is Clarence, unlike in the movie. The trainee here is Miriam. Also, no one's suicidal. And no one's pivotal moments are being retold starting from childhood. With 18 characters to service, we're only looking at what's been stressing them out for the past few days. Still, the show wants you to know it knows you know what it's doing. Clip two.
4: If it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure,
2: sure.
4: You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. It's a wonderful
2: life. I love this movie.
4: How can
5: you not? It's an American classic. It's a wonderful life.
3: Never heard of it. Me either. Funny. Number two, there's a needlessly complicated timeline. I guess maybe this is also part of the It's a Wonderful Life homage, but writers Charles and Karen Rosen clearly lose control of the gimmick. After establishing that it's Christmas and that the gang is doing this charity thing, we flash forward to all of them separately pouting on a bus and then back again so that Miriam can tell us why they're all so pissed off at each other. In the process, setting up flashbacks within flashbacks that the viewer can only mentally place in chronological order based on characters' outfits. Leading up to the pouty bus ride, we get four and one-half minutes of screen time devoted to each gangster individually approaching Donna to try to weasel out of going due to personal shit with one or more other attendee until Donna makes Mrs. Teasley yell at them. An utter waste of time, given that we already saw them on the bus in the flash forward. Additionally... The framing device is supposed to be Miriam convincing Clarence to intervene and save the gang from disaster. So why she spends the better part of a half hour detailing all their spats instead of getting to what is in the Angels timeline, the gangsters imminent deaths, is a choice that goes unexplained. Number three, the episode falls at an extremely annoying moment in the Brenda Dylan Kelly love triangle. For those who have not engaged as immersively in the 90210 universe as Sarah and I have, it may be hard to remember how long the show's writers dragged out the resolution of this love triangle, and specifically for how many episodes they tried to have it both ways. But since no one really ever expected that Brenda and Kelly were going to be satisfied with a sister-wife situation, this arc was just frustrating. Here we have to endure the girls acting like they think the three of them can all be platonic friends for a while and ignore their throbbing biological urges, which (laughs) no one believes that's the case. There are also multiple double entendres to the effect that a threesome might be in the offing, which teenagers in 1992 at 8 p.m.? No. That aside, the most annoying aspect of this from our adult perspective is that it ends with Brenda and Kelly telling Dylan to choose between them. I'm not current with contemporary teen shows, but I doubt any would try to get away with making their female characters so passive. Number four, speaking of annoying arcs, Andrea's grandmother calls and says Andrea got a letter from Yale. It's thin. Andrea, Brandon, and their school newspaper faculty advisor, Gil, discuss in clip three.
5: Hey, you don't know what it says yet.
3: Look, Gil, we all know that a thick envelope means you got in, and a thin envelope means we regret to inform you, but...
5: Yeah. Yeah. But that's what they should say in your case, right? No way. They must have a different system for early admission. I bet they just took one look at her application and said, reject. I'll bet you she got
4: (laughs) accepted. How much? You want to bet me for money?
3: So this episode and the one before are where producers started to plant the seeds for Brandon's sports gambling arc. And for those who don't know, yes, that is a thing that happened for about a quarter of the season, and which sucked. Number five, that's not the only annoying arc. Clip four. David, what's wrong? You're so quiet.
4: I just sort of feel out of it. Why? Well, Andre's the first, but everyone will be getting into their colleges, and I'll be left here by myself in high school. (laughs)
3: Please calm down, sad score. We later find out that David's mother, who we won't actually lay eyes on for more than two more seasons, is moving to Portland to get away from David's shitty cheating father, who has already remarried Kelly's mom for now. But instead of dealing with being abandoned by his actual parent, David has come up with a scheme that will keep him from being left behind at West Beverly at the end of the school year. Clip five.
4: I know, Donna. If I load up on required courses like I planned on doing last summer, I could finish early and graduate with your class. That's great. But when will we ever get to see each other? Uh, when we graduate?
3: Donna is right to have misgivings because, as Sarah and I know, but Donna does not, David has absolutely no ability to handle stress and is absolutely going to take it out on Donna, earning himself the nickname Lord Pissface, bestowed (laughs) by me and richly deserved. Number six, it's the end of the Nikki era. Apparently, there was some talk at some point of creating a spinoff around the freshman characters introduced at the start of season three computer nerd hubert dead scott's sister sue and nikki who first fooled around with david and then ended up dating brandon the spinoff never happened and nikki had to go officially back to live with her parents in san francisco which sucks because she was for sure the best of brandon's girlfriends and better than his shelf-headed ass deserved seventh and finally everything about the literally miraculous climax is infuriating as i said up top The stakes for this episode are that Miriam knows there's a truck on a collision course with the gang's bus, and she's telling this interminable story to convince Clarence to intervene and save them. Clarence airily says he already has, and the truck driver in question is far away. Miriam has to tell Clarence he rerouted Craig Clemens, but Greg Clemens is the one they need to worry about, and we see he's not just drunk, but drinking from a fifth of something while driving. Clarence has apparently exhausted his own miracle power for the day. And refuses to call upstairs because he apparently thinks that since the kids' kids bickering is the reason the bus left late, they deserve to have a garbage truck plow into them at top speed going the wrong way down a one-way street. And you know what? Maybe Clarence is right. (laughs) (laughs) However, it may surprise listeners who've never watched this episode to learn that, no, the producers of Beverly Hills 90210 decided not to kill their entire teen cast in their Christmas episode. Steve and Gil, by the way, are watching from the schoolyard and screaming at an oblivious Greg Clemens to stop as, for what feels like 500 years, the editor cuts between shots of the truck and the bus driving toward each other. But then just as both vehicles arrive at the intersection, the truck phases through the bus in what is, even for the era, an extremely terrible visual effect. We get shots of the bus passengers reacting like something weird happened that they can't put their finger on, but since they didn't see the truck coming at them, they shake it off. Yet even though the scene has already established that Steve and Gill watched the truck coming at the bus and tried to prevent the collision, it then does not show them reacting to the miracle at all. It would have been so easy to insert them hustling the kids away or even just telling each other I can't look so that they could just glance up when the bus arrived safely and figure the timing worked out for the two vehicles to have missed each other the way it actually plays i guess we're supposed to think that steve and gill just lost interest and stopped watching anyway clarence (laughs) didn't save the gang god did thanks a lot god having clarence react with astonishment to the news that brandon and brenda are brother and sister when they generally act like they're trying to fuck each other is a decent winky joke that might redeem an episode that was merely pretty bad but this one is more than pretty bad it's fucking terrible (laughs) Even if you don't respect the games that Beverly Hills 90210 was trying to achieve, lots of people don't, which I can certainly understand. You have to admit it's a totally happening life doesn't even meet the standard for what we as TV viewers require an episode of a basically competent teen drama to do. I hope that, having gone on this journey with me, Miriam, and fucking Clarence, you agree and (laughs) will induct it into the Nonac. And I feel like Sarah, who is my co-expert on this topic, should go first.
4: Um, I shall. First of all, uh, excellent presentation. Um, Second of all, fuck you for making me watch this again. We're getting pod divorced. Uh, Third (laughs) of all, just kidding. Here's my issue with um, voting for this for the NONAC. Um, This is legitimately a horrendous episode. But the problem, as always, with the NONAC submitted from this show, is that the lows are, like, constant and always real low. And is this actually more, uh, like, offensively bad than, uh, you know... It, the no is supposed to be like a bad episode of a usually good show. This show has never been good. We have now watched all the episodes multiple times. It's disank. <laughs> so I, I'm a little like procedurally, um, unclear as to how I'm going to proceed.
3: Okay. However, but if we have an episode in the Canon, then, you know, by definition, yes. it's, it's no neck eligible. Uh, yes.
4: Say. I, uh, that is an excellent point. Um, there were so many points at which I was once again filled with rage at the incompetence (laughs) of everyone involved, except Mrs. Teasley. And I watched that scene twice, um, and inserted my own swears because Uh Mrs. Teasley for president, um, the teachers were jamming makes me want to jam a knitting needle into every eye (laughs) ever. uh, (laughs) That Gil is like, just so you know, I had nothing to do with this. like, uh-huh. Wasn't this the person who thought the Scarlet Letter was written by Nathaniel Horthon? Horthon. And no, yeah. I'm not fucking letting that go. Horthon of the Hill People. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he looks like he's of the Hill People. That fucking bread loaf stuck to his head. <laughs> Dylan, having just like boned some arius like two episodes prior is just acting like a threesome is actually going to happen uh brenda and kelly's decorated cookies that are supposed to help him make up his mind between them are uh, offensive to me as a christmas cookie decorator and lover Mm -hmm. um david go fuck yourself like Mm -hmm. please please just stay behind in high school oh wait Mm -hmm. here we all are um there are so many aspects of this that are terrible. It's an even worse, like, I I can't really name an episode that does It's a Wonderful Life. Well, because it's just been done so many times that there needs to be a moratorium on it. But this is, uh, like, even the title, it's a totally happening life. It's just <laughs> one of the many ways in which uh, the writers are obviously you know, 57 years old. Yeah. It's 1992.
3: That's not what we were saying.
4: It's a very poochie the dog moment.
3: Yes. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, the teachers are jamming like, no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. no, they were not. Um, this is an absolutely horrendous episode. Um, just generally, it may be like legendarily bad just for Christmas episodes. That point is taken under advisement. Um, and because you were the one who had to write this up for the book, yes, we wrote a book on 90210. No, <laughs> not it's not a, a bit October, 2020. <laughs> uh, I, I must concede, um, that you are the expert on it's, uh, and particular horrendosity. And now I see the floor.
2: All right. As the sort of last person in again with this, let me wrap this up. when, This was originally on again with this. Since then, I've had it stuck on my mind that this was a good, bad piece of dumb that was dumb enough that it was fun to make fun of, but it's really not. It's slow, and it's dull, and it's just lackluster. Like, it is not bad, dumb. It is just dumb, dumb. Now, I want to introduce a new sentence into the English lexicon. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but here we go. Here's an example of a show that should have taken a page from Aaron Sorkin and totally Isaac and Ishmaeled this episode. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Which is, if you're not familiar, that is the 9/11 West Wing reaction episode that uh, he made uh, outside of continuity West Wing reality. Like it exists as as a project aside from West Wing, even though it is part of West Wing. Um, why not do that here? Because um, you know, like it's adding all these supernatural elements to it. There is like a moment where Brandon has somebody just, uh, Jedi mind tricked him and he's like, what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like there's a lot of weird stuff happening here that doesn't work into itself, but also really doesn't work in the larger picture of it. I know I am sort of trying to put a world building sort of ethos to Beverly Hills 90210. I realize how that, <laughs> dumb that is, but let's just go with it. Let's just say that this is something that exists outside the elastic boundaries of 90210, and <laughs> it should have been something that is separate from it if they wanted to go ahead and do it, because it is not right. One thing you didn't touch upon is like the incredibly toxic work environment that apparently exists in heaven. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that to me, Miriam. I was just making a comment. Sorry. <laughs> And <laughs> and you could remember who you're
5: talking to. Or you might end up doing this presentation in a black hole. I'm sorry.
2: I mean, <laughs> what's going on, it's guys? Why do, why do we have a manager with this amount of rage in him? Like, I know... <laughs> Heaven sort of exists in a sort of a militaristic hierarchy and there are soldier angels and lesser angels and you know, all that kind of stuff. But I don't think we need to have this sort of angel to angel animosity, unearned animosity too. Like she's obviously learning the ropes and she's trying to fix a problem and management isn't hearing it. And it's a bad place to work. Heaven. That's really all I have to say about this episode. Sarah D. Bunting. Sounds like you're on the fence. It all comes down to you, because I am definitely voting this is no-knack worthy. What say you? Um,
4: I think that this is a culturally significant no-knack, so I vote yes. All right, that means...
1: (laughs)
2: That means Beverly Hills, 90210, Season 3, Episode 16, It's a Totally
4: Happening Life.
2: You're hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Donut.
1: Americans love a winner.
3: You <laughs> And will not tolerate a loser.
2: (laughs) No. All right, everybody. It's time for winner and loser of the week. If you like that, check out Shitty Flute on.
4: Oh, the best gift (laughs) I (laughs) ever got for David T. Cole was telling him about that site. Indeed. Oh, God. All right. It is time for winner and loser of the week. Tara has our winner.
3: I do. The winners are collectively the Property Brothers, Jonathan and Drew Scott, not because one of them is dating Zoe Deschanel, although that's part of it, uh-huh. but because uh, they just signed a contract with HGTV. They are now locked in with the network through 2022. Definitely two of the thems of HGTV. Uh Whose <laughs> sitcom house will they renovate next? Who knows? Congratulations to them.
4: Loser of the week. Uh, that would be Dan Spilo. Spilo. Um, who cares? He's canceled. This is, of course, the first ever Survivor contestant to be removed from the game for an off-camera incident. Um, at first, everyone was being pretty cagey, probably for legal reasons. But it has since come out that he, um, while being ferried away or too uh, away from or to some kind of challenge, touched a um crew member on the thigh. Uh this had been the subject of a lot of um, inveighing at tribal council, from probes and people really not either believing his fellow contestants who said that he was being, you know, grabby and too touchy, or people pretending for the sake of gameplay that they didn't mind so they wouldn't get voted out. The whole thing was disgusting. I like kicked the show off my DVR um like immediately after this occurred and i just really uh, i just really can't um he like just today quote broke his silence with one of those apologies that's like i'm sorry if anybody was made to feel uncomfortable like it's not how you fucking do it dan um and he was uninvited from the reunion which now has to be pre-taped da, 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 da. Um, there has been some uh, strongly worded writing on this from our colleagues james Poniewozik and andy daynar we will link to that in the show notes um but cbs continues to just fucking suck at this
3: it's really astonishing
4: yeah hi value and believe women cunts
3: Oh, boy. Uh,
4: <laughs> good luck with that segue, Dave. I'm just going to yeah. do it. Guys,
2: speaking about cunts, do you know what time it is? All right, everybody, this is... Is the fifth game time of the season? Let me remind you of our standings: Sarah two, value guest two, Tara zero. Today we are playing bizarre backstories from one Mister Dan Casino.
1: Damn you, Casino!
2: Who earns himself <laughs> an extra credit topic of his choosing? Dan writes. TV has a long tradition of giving a little bits of a character's backstory for comedic or dramatic effect. But when a show goes on long enough, the backstory that has been given doesn't always add up. In this (laughs) game, I'll give you a rotating list of three characters from recent TV shows and an element of their backstory. Your job is to match the backstory with one of the character choices. Love Just it. note that we use they to obscure the sex of the character now and then. And keep in mind that some of the elements of the backstory come from unreliable narrators, but we're going to take them at their word as far as if they were true or not. So sure. one answer, one point, no hints, 36 questions and a tiebreaker. Tara Ariano, can we please get the steel meal situation?
3: Of course. Sarah D. Bunting has zero steel meals i have one steel meal and one extravaganza gong mm. and the valued guests have six steel meals Whoa!
2: remind them how it works
3: okay if another player answers something wrong you can jump in very very quickly before dave gives the right answer and say steel meal and then you can uh, try and steal their point by giving the correct answer
0: and so wait and if we use them they like go away for future guests is that That's so- true That is correct. Other
3: valued guests would step over your corpse in a second. Don't worry about that. That's true. I understand
0: it.
2: All right. So today we are playing Tara and Sarah individually, and our Dajam team will play as Uh. a unit. So let's see who is going to go first. We will start with Tara. All right. Our order, Tara, Sarah, Team Dajam. Are we ready to play Bizarre Backstories? Okay. Yes. Yes. Round one. Your characters are Catherine Willows. That's from CSI. Phoebe Buffay from Friends. Karen yep. Walker from Will & Grace. I'll you yep. a piece of their backstory. You're going to tell me which of those characters it is from. All right. Okay. Tara. Mm-hmm. She got hepatitis when a pimp spat in her mouth. Phoebe. Correct. Sarah D. Bunting, your first question. Her mother was a showgirl, which somehow means that she was constantly moving as a child. Uh, Catherine Willows. Correct. Dave and Jeb married a gay Canadian ice dancer named Duncan to help him get a green card.
0: I mean, this has to be Will and Grace, right? So that'd be... Is that... Jeb, what do you think?
5: Uh, hey, look, I'll tr- I trust your instincts. Go for it. All right. Karen Walker, right? Is that yeah. that
3: Steel Meal What? Oh wait I don't have a Steel Meal, never mind I'm not going to use it, I changed my mind, I only have one
2: The correct answer was Phoebe from Friends on that one Back to Tara Once played a naughty maid in a softcore adult film Karen Correct Sarah Worked as a stripper until a police detective Who was a regular at the club Encouraged her to go back to school Catherine Willows and here's the last one of this little bit for Team Dijon. She spent much of her youth living on the street, making her way as a pickpocket and mugger.
5: I feel like that's Phoebe.
0: Mmm, that seems dark for friends, though. A mugger?
5: But that's why it's funny. You're like, oh, homelessness. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect that. Not in New York.
0: It's not in that version of New York. It feels CSI-ish because it's both uh, really dark and like super glib and and dumb to me. But I'll defer to you if you want to say Phoebe Buffet.
5: I feel like Pickpocket is something that a, like a comedian's writer's room comes up with. like Because they can't say like Boot Black or something or like okay. <laughs> Night Soil Man.
0: Right. right. So say it. Say the name.
2: Phoebe You are correct. Good. i was so scared
3: he was going to talk you out of it.
0: Yeah. No, it's all right. um, Yeah. I don't remember friends very well, apparently.
2: There are plus and minuses to working (laughs) as a team.
0: At least everybody gets to explore our process.
2: We are in round two. We say goodbye to Catherine Willows. And we add into the mix Sophia Petrello from Golden Girls. So your three choices now are Phoebe, Karen, or Sophia. Okay. Tara. Yep. Suffered a minor stroke, which explains her tendency to say whatever comes to mind unfiltered. Sophia. Sarah. Lost her virginity to a teacher who gave her an
4: A plus and didn't make her write a term at paper. <laughs> this seems like something that could be Sophia, um, but it was not. Uh, of the other two, I'm not sure which, so I'm going to say Karen.
2: You are correct. Nice.
4: Never went to high school or college, but
2: learned French in a class that met behind a dumpster. Is that Sophia's backstory, Karen's, or Phoebe's? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know,
5: Dave. How do you feel?
0: <laughs> well, you know the the dumpster part feels kind of frenzy um, but yeah. I don't remember any of them speaking. For,
5: did she really not go to any school? Well, you know, I don't know. Buffet. Oh wait, and... no,
0: it's probably uh, Karen's—the one from Will and Grace, right? It would make sense if she hadn't gone to any sort of
2: school.
5: <laughs> like, well, that's that, that's either Sophia because she's too old to have afford. Like, it was the depression or something, or fever. <laughs> All right, what's your uh, answer, guys?
0: I'm in the weeds here. Say Phoebe. one if you want to.
5: Correct.
2: All right. When in doubt, say Phoebe is what we're hearing from yeah, it seems like it. We've got a method that works. It's like
5: answering, answering Churchill in uh, Trivial Pursuit.
2: <laughs> really, it's always Hitler for me for some reason. Yeah. Uh, all right, back to Tara. Claims to have cursed both Shelley Long and the New York Jets.
3: Uh, oh, I think that's Karen. Mm, shit.
2: Correct. That is Sophia.
3: Mm.
2: Sarah. Once stabbed a cop, but it's okay
4: because he stabbed her first. <laughs> I mean, that really could be any of them. Um, Phoebe. Correct. Nice. <laughs> and here's our final question before
2: our first score break for Dave and Jeb. Her adopted mother committed suicide via carbon monoxide poisoning. Huh.
0: It's so funny. It has to be Phoebe. I don't. Where are we going with this? I don't don't like this gag. I
5: (laughs) I worry that we might be running into Phoebe scarcity because it also feels like a a Karen thing.
0: Yeah, might be a Karen thing.
2: Uh, You you want
5: to try that?
0: You want to mix it up? You want to say Karen Willows? (laughs) Sure.
2: What is your actual answer well, before I? Dig well,
0: Dave, that's our answer. It's it's the it's Karen. Karen
2: Walker. Her mom, okay. Her, Here's your.
0: Oh, I don't know. Whoever our the actual librarians.
5: answer is, Hunter Biden.
0: Yes, <laughs> guys. Was it you fucking had the Phoebe? System
5: and you
2: deviated from it. <laughs> the answer was Phoebe.
0: You gotta trust your stuff. These are such classic gags. Stabbed a cop. Mom committed suicide.
5: Became a cop. Solved her own crimes. All right. That's round two. Tara scores, please.
3: All right, Sarah is in the lead with four. I have three. Team Dejam have two.
2: All right, that means T Team Dejam, you are in. The Grossworth Equalizer Challenge Zone in my hand. I have a mid 90s Trivial Pursuit TV box question card. I'm gonna read you all the categories. You get three of the six right. We're going to give you two points. If you manage to sweep it, we'll give you four. Are you ready? Nice. Okay. I'm going to just look at the answers. None of them are Phoebe, just so you know ahead of time. (laughs) All (laughs) right. Classics. Good luck. Who was valedictorian of Mayberry High School's class of 1945?
5: Uh, Andy Griffith.
0: Well, well, he's the dad,
5: though. But not in in 1945, though. Oh, 45. Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. So let's say it.
5: The answer? Yeah, Andy Griffith. That is an actor.
2: Fuck. We were looking for Andy Taylor. Andy Taylor. Oh. Sitcoms. So, uh, well, what show, was, it was, his scr- show? Hmm? <laughs> it was his well, show? Hmm. Well, I I don't think that the actor was actually valedictorian of the fictional high school. I just
5: don't. It was think a it documentary
0: show, David. It was a documentary show. <laughs>
5: what they couldn't it, back then, they couldn't get away with saying it was Move his show on. if that wasn't him in
0: it. Move. What's the next one? Do the next sitcoms.
2: Hmm.
5: What show is described in its credits as a
2: continuation of MASH? After MASH. Correct. What Polish... No, sorry. This is drama. What Polish insurance investigator is chauffeured by Jay Dury? Banachek. Correct. Nice.
4: Whoa. Kids and
2: Games. You only need one more to get your points. What cartoon cat tormented Manhattan's 13th police precinct? Felix, mm, Top no? Cat, oh. Stars. Your answer will be a celebrity. What former Rock Hudson co-star had a pet care show on the Christian Broadcasting Network? Oh, Dave, this is all you.
0: Is is it Doris Day?
2: It is. Yeah, all right.
3: Hey! Wow. All right, that gives you two points yeah.
2: to add to your total. So quickly, Tara, <laughs> update the scores.
3: Well things just changed. Now, I still have three points. Sarah still has four points, but now she's tied with Team Dijon with four. Dun, 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 dun.
2: That's how the grocery Equalizer Challenge is supposed to work. Back to the game. Round three, we're saying goodbye to Phoebe. We're introducing Bonnie Plunkett from Mom. That's the Allison... Uh, Janny. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, your choices are Karen Walker, Sophia, or Bonnie. Tara. Uh, she said she had a brief affair with Ronald Reagan
3: Sophia mm-hmm. incorrect Shit. Karen oh
2: <laughs> Sarah purposely injured her sister during a game of twister purposely injured her sister during a game of twister. um, I think that's
4: also Sophia mm-hmm.
2: also Karen
4: huh.
2: Dejahm had a brief same sex relationship with a woman played by Rosie O'Donnell.
0: Seems like that's uh, Alison Janney and mom, probably. Right? She had a wild early life or whatever.
5: Wait, like, do you mean like Rosie O'Donnell was played the character or literally Rosie O'Donnell? With a woman played by Rosie O'Donnell. All right.
0: I've had some issues with that. Let's say, let's say, and Janney and mom. Correct. All right.
2: All right. Back to Tara. Became a notary public years ago as part of a complicated con. Karen. Karen is correct. This is question 17, Sarah. well no, the Sprite eagle. eagle. Yes. Was once briefly engaged to her
4: own brother. I mean, <laughs> spoiled for choice. Sophia.
2: Correct. <laughs> Last question around three for Jeb and Dave has never seen their son who is described as a cross dresser living in Newark.
0: Jeez. Uh, that description makes me think it's golden girls. Cause that's way out of date. You have any, yeah. in- so- okay, wait,
5: look, I trust your Jersey instincts. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. All right. Uh, so fear. <laughs> nice. correct. Nice. <laughs> All right, that's round blood. three
2: done. <laughs> round four, goodbye, Karen Walker. Hello, Alex Karev from Grey's Anatomy. That's just okay. a Chambers' character. So, choices now are Sophia, Bonnie, and Alex. Tara, hey. this is question. Mm-hmm. 19,
4: 19, 19, 19.
2: Was married for the first time at age fourteen, but had it annulled?
3: Um, Karen. Mm, She's
2: no longer in the game, so it can't be her, but, but good guess. That was Sophia. Shit. Two, Sarah, started taking care of a schizophrenic mother at age seven.
4: Sophia, Bonnie, or Alex? Mm, mm, mm. Um, I actually don't know, so I'm going to guess that that is Alex. You are correct. Noise. Dijam was abandoned by their spouse while hospitalized
2: on Christmas Eve. Classic Christmas story.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, I mean, it seems histrionic, so Grey's Anatomy, but it could also be the mom thing. I don't yeah. you know. I, the only thing I know about it is I listened to the review on here. So, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, hospitalized on Christmas Eve. Um, I think I remember the Alex guys really more about like punching guys and going to jail. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, Allison. I'm gonna say, Alice and Janie, and Mom.
2: Final answer. Collectively, everybody agrees on this Sure, one. Yep. All you're together. Right with that one? You are correct. Yep. All right. Back to Tar. On fire. Was sent to juvenile detention after stealing food for their family. Alex. Correct. Sarah D. Bunting lived in 17 different foster homes in the course of five years.
4: I mean, Alex is the new Phoebe, so I'm going to say Alex.
2: <laughs> Alex is the new Phoebe, you are correct. Last question of round four. Arrange for their baby to be adopted by a, quote, nice Jewish family, but backed out at the last minute.
5: That feels like Sophia. Yeah,
0: sure does. Classic Sophia shit. You say <laughs> her name this time.
5: Sophia. <laughs>
0: oh. ah. Your accent was wrong. That was
2: Bonnie from Mom. Again. Oh,
0: really? Okay. Drag.
2: Guys, this is round five. We're saying goodbye to Sophia. We're saying hello to Tracy Jordan from 30 Rock. So your choices yeah. now are Bonnie from Mom, Alex from Gray's, Tracy from 30 Rock. Tara. Yep. Spent a lot of time as a drug dealer. Tracy. And no!
3: Grace,
2: Bonnie. <laughs> oh,
3: God, of course.
2: Sarah D. Bunting once saw a baby giving another baby a tattoo. They were very drunk.
4: <laughs> that sounds like Tracy.
2: Yeah. I've
0: been so excited to steal a meal that one. I vividly remember that line
2: reading like it haunts me. <laughs> <So does. laughs> that whole stairwell scene was fantastic. Yep. It was Amazing. like an improv dream. Yeah. <laughs> Missed prom because their father came home drunk and started wrecking things. Bonnie, Alex, or Tracy? Poor team to Jean again. Um, Alex.
0: Yeah. It's Alex.
2: You're correct. All right. Tara, back to you. Grew up in projects named after Zachary Taylor, generally considered one of the worst presidents of all time.
3: I believe that is Tracy.
2: (laughs) 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 Sarah lost their virginity to a school employee at age 15. Alex. Correct. Wow, God, Alex. Shonda
0: loves that childhood trauma.
4: Also, was a boot black. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, this is last question of round five. It is question thirty, so we're getting towards the end of the game. It is for Team Dejam. Put their own mother into a psychiatric facility.
0: Oh, I was hoping for a Tracy one. That would be yeah. funny instead of a Alex probably one. Uh, that's like just more trauma from from our lady Shonda Uh, this feels like Alex to me Jeb what do you think
5: Yeah, if you're feeling it let's let's push it all in on that
0: all
2: right it's Alex you are correct it was Alex all right that was question 30 everybody has two questions left but first the scores please Star.
3: okay uh, Sarah and Dajam are tied with nine each. I have
2: seven. Oh, all right, Tara. That means you're in the Grossworth Equalizer Challenge Zone. Goodbye, Tara. Classic star.
3: Correction, in addition to being bad at this game, I only have six, not seven.
2: Hmm. We forgive you.
3: What network's
2: John Cameron Swayze became the first major TV news anchorman in 1949? What network? CBS. CBS is incorrect. Mm. NBC. Okay. Sitcoms. Mm. Mm. What member of the Monkees was nicknamed Wool Hat?
3: Mike Nesmith.
2: Correct. Drama. How many seasons did both Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey last?
3: Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Six. Oh, five. (laughs) Damn it.
2: (laughs) Kids and Games. Yeah. What sitcom was based on a comic strip by Hank Ketchum? Ketchum.
3: Uh, uh, Dennis the Menace. Correct. Need one
2: more of your last two. Stars. Feeling good about your chances here. Yep. What? astronomer he says
1: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) what astronomer had uh, impersonators intoning billions and billions of stars while lampooning his PBS Cosmos series. Carl Sagan Carl Sagan is correct and you got your two points Astronomers everywhere are appreciative of your knowledge Tara. (laughs) We're all nomer (laughs) We're all nomer for having heard that answer. Scores (laughs) updated please Tara
3: Okay, well, now I have eight, and Sarah and Dijon are still ahead of me with nine each.
2: All right, close game. Everybody has two questions left. This is round six. We are dropping Bonnie from Mom. We are saying hello to John Locke from Lost. Oh, bad. So your choices are Alex from Greys, Tracy from 30 Rack, John from Lost. Here we go, Tara. Okay. Mm-hmm. Strangely, has no birth certificate, but took the honorary birthday of February 24th. Tracy? Correct. For Sarah, was defenstrated by his father.
4: Uh, You mean astronomated? Uh, I believe that's John Locke. You believe correctly. Team Mm Dijon uses his
2: mother's rather than father's last name.
5: Huh. I mean, that seem, feels like John Locke to me, but uh, if you have a strong feeling. I've, ne-
0: I've never seen Lost. I uh, saw
5: all of Lost, but I don't remember a lot of it.
0: <laughs> and see, and we've lost, we've dropped Alex from Grey's Anatomy, or he's still
2: there. Alex, Tracy, and John are your choices. All
0: right, because uh, there's all the the parent stuff is very Grey's Anatomy to me. Um, if you think it's John Locke, I'm fine with that, but it feels alex to me.
5: Uh, how do you guys feel about it? Specifically, you, David T. Cole. It really yeah. <laughs> feels like a Bonnie move to
2: me. but
0: Yeah, classic. <laughs> it's classic Bonnie. Um,
2: pick all all right, up, Alex. Yeah. Alex is your final answer, and it is correct. Oh
0: yeah. Well we chosen.
2: Go. Tied at the top, Tara's still one behind, correct?
3: That is yeah. correct.
2: All right. You absolutely need this to stay in the mix, Tara. Once watched a prostitute stab a clown.
3: Um, <laughs> Tracy? Amongst Should us. be
2: John Locke, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sarah donated a kidney to his father, only to find
4: out it was part of a scam. That maybe that's why he doesn't use his father's last name. Just kidding. Uh, I <laughs> think that was probably John Locke. Correct. It was. Wow. Putting wow. the pressure on
2: Team DeJean to get this to tie the game up at the end. Here is your clue: dropped out of high school over his inability to dissect a
5: frog in biology class.
1: <laughs> mm.
5: Feels like an ironic backstory for a doctor.
0: Yep. Classic <laughs> Shonda understatement. I'm gonna. Let's so we're doing Alex.
5: Yeah. Let's you know. Let's write it into the ground.
2: Alright, Alex, Alex is your final answer. I only have this to say to you.
1: Damn
2: you, you there. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. That is Tracy Jordan's backstory. Oh, that's
4: not even that funny. Yeah, maybe it was not context.
2: <laughs> you don't know. That is Regulation Tara. The final scores, please.
3: Alright, well, I was totally shut out with 10. Dijam had 10 also. Sarah is our victor with 11!
2: Well done, Sarah. Picture it. All right, we do have a tiebreaker, which we do not need to use for official purposes, so we'll play it for a steel meal for future use. I am going to slowly read up to six pieces of the ridiculous backstory of a well-known character. I'll read them one at a time, slowly. You can guess whenever you want, as many times as you want. I'm just going to let it go freeform. First person uh-huh. to correctly shout out the answer wins the steel mill. Are we ready? Yes. 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 Spent a brief time in the army, although they say that info, about this time in their lives, is classified. Ran away from home at age 17 and stowed away aboard a steamer bound for Scandinavia. In 1979, was struck on the head by a falling air conditioner. Spent more than a decade on strike from their job at a bagel store.
3: Kramer. Yeah, Kramer, Kramer is
1: correct. Oh, yeah.
2: That is the steel meal for Tara Ariano, but Good the job, day belongs T-bone. to Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah. Sarah. Congratulations, Sarah. Thanks. Well guys, that is it for this episode of Extra Hot Great. We all made out Under the Mistletoe by the Light of the Menorah for Lifetime's light porn holiday movie, Mistletoe and Menorahs, before going around the dial with stops at A Christmas Carol, Back to Life, The Prophet, The Expanse, and Watchmen. Lauren installed us all as TV dictators for her extra credit, while Tara brought the no-knack cheer in the form of Beverly Hills 90210's It's a Totally Happening Life. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah was the winner of this week's Game Time. Remember.
3: We're listening. Ah.
2: I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara (sighs) Ariano.
3: Twas the day before Christmas.
2: Sarah D. Bunting. (sighs) Why am I talking to a tree? David
5: Roth. (laughs) I'm a Christmas boss. And Jeb Lund. (laughs) In the immortal words of mistletoe and menorahs, isn't Hanukkah random? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great.
2: These kids have problems. They're too good looking to have problems. All right. <laughs> it's called Word.
0: Richie April is a fucking angel. Incredible.
4: <laughs> Don't give me the Manson lamps. Can I get a glass
5: of water? Every time I read on your podcast, I get caught in mouth and I ran through all my water.
2: Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, great. I, I wasn't sure if that was a bit. <laughs>
5: I had to pause for <laughs>
2: Oh, it's
0: classic Jeb. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to I we had a we had a whole bit worked out. This guy loves being thirsty, folks.
1: <laughs> he loves to drink. I don't know. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs>